Hey, hi everyone. <clears throat> Let's see, it's the 27th of April, 2023. It's time for episode 155 of my live chat. My name is Luke Thomas. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. We have been off, <coughs> excuse me, for several weeks. We have been off for several weeks uh, because I was on vacation and traveling and it was uh, crazy. But we are back today. We'll go for an hour on the questions that you guys put up on the thread that I put up yesterday, which is under the community tab at youtube.com slash Luke Thomas. And then if you want to get in a donation, you certainly may. You don't have to. You certainly may. But we'll get to those questions if you have a donation at the end in the super chat functionality. Yes. Thank you so much for watching. I greatly appreciate it. Without uh, too much further ado, let's get this party started, shall we? All right. All right. All right. All right. We are back. Um, let's see. Today on the docket, it's uh, it's my daughter's birthday. How about that? My daughter turns four today. Can you believe that? Four. Boy, when they say it goes fast, they're not lying. Let's look. It's, um, I, I don't know. Like you look at old pictures of your daughter in like, um, you know, just two years ago, it doesn't seem that long, but like they're completely different. I mean, I know this is a very obvious thing, but until you experience it, you don't quite realize that uh, they're in whatever stage they're in in a very fleeting and ephemeral way. Um, that's crazy. It's really crazy. But she's beautiful. She's doing great. I'm doing pretty well. I feel rested. I've got a little bit of a tan, not too much, and uh, ready to do today's chat. All right. All right. Let's get this party started. Let's pull this up if we can. Like so. There we go. All right. Okay. Uh, hey, Luke, did you hear uh, uh, Adesanya, Adesanya giving you props on his recent video? He said, your analysis of the Pereira 2 fight was one of the only good ones alongside Teddy Atlas. That's got to feel good to hear. It sure made me feel happy for you. Nice work, LT. Um, yes, I did hear that. Someone else uh, hit me to it. He's got some new video. I think it's called... Um, had a clever, oh yes, uh, it was a clever title. It was, I think, Ramble, Young Man Ramble, which of course is a riff on um, Rumble, Young Man Rumble from Muhammad Ali. I actually had a Tumblr years ago called Tumblr, Young Man Tumblr, back when Tumblr was a thing. If you're in your early 20s, you probably don't even know about it. But uh, anyway, um, smart of him. So like, he, he really did something kind of interesting. I, I mean, I'm sure you guys noticed. He didn't really do any uh, extra media. He did only the media on 287 Fight Week. I think he's like basically contractually required to do. So that would be sitting down at media day, answering questions, press conference. Um, there are some backstage interviews he has to do with the various media partners they have, like TSN in Canada or uh, whoever their partner. I think uh, their only partner at this point in Brazil is Fight Pass. I'm not sure who else is their partner down there. Um, but whatever, all the various places that they are, their broadcast partners, he spoke to them and then that was it. If it wasn't required, he didn't do it. And, um, boy, contrast, I, I think I said this in real time, contrast that with how Rousey handled all of her media blackout. Like he did it like the very best way where it wasn't super adversarial, but he wasn't going to, I think, compromise his week, compromise his time, answer a bunch of questions about it, which you can understand. And the results speak for themselves. And then afterwards, he also didn't do any uh, extra media. And now he's going to like keep everything on his YouTube channel. It's smart. It's smart. It's smart to keep all those views. It's very smart to do that. The one thing I would say um, 
critically about that is it's I mean it obviously makes all the sense in the world for him the only difference is that I would still hope I can get an opportunity to speak to him at some point because the reality is I think as open and as honest as he typically is um it's always going to be different when there's someone else asking you questions who's not in your inner circle and I think you're going to get different answers and you might get pushed in different ways it's a minor criticism it's very small but to the point about it yeah he did bring me up which I was really glad to see. That's nice. Uh, he mentioned Teddy Atlas as well. I think you gave Teddy Atlas, I think, the most props, which is um, uh, totally uh, not. I think that's not surprising to me. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciated it. I work hard on those things, man. I, I really do. I, I try to put in, um, you know, as much work as I can, as quickly as I can, to be um, to get to the heart of the matter. I felt pretty good about the analysis. I felt pretty good about, you know, I don't know if you guys saw the Tank Davis one I did before I left. It's on the MK channel. I feel really good about that. The only problem was the ask was enormous. It was like, hey, we, they, they showed. So there was funny. If you look at the comments on the Tank Davis one, people were like, oh, you gave the whole game away to Ryan. Now do one on Ryan. Like, let me be clear and back up a step. Showtime asked me to do that. Showtime requested that I do that video. Like, they didn't want, it wasn't an attempt in any way to like undermine Tank. I don't think that was the, the view at all. In fact, I think if you got that lesson from it, you got the wrong one. The challenge was that what it, they, were, they were like, show his growth and development up to this point. And I was like, how the fuck do I do that? And I was like, all right, well, it's an open stance fight. What are his last most open stance fights? And it was everything. I picked everything from uh, the Gamboa fight all the way up to Roley Romero, the, the fight before that. Hector Garcia didn't. He was a fellow southpaw. He switched stance a little bit, but he was a fellow southpaw. I felt really good about that, but I had to rush through so much. And there was a whole lot I couldn't get to and explain. But uh, I feel pretty good about those videos, you know? Listen, if you train a lot, I don't know exactly how much value you get out of them. I don't know that that's my audience, but the audience is for people who might know a little bit about it, might know nothing about it, might know some, want some clarification. I feel like the video, those those immediate breakdowns I do, whether MMA or for boxing, um, I feel pretty confident. I feel pretty confident that you can get value out of it. Um, and then the champ here is saying that uh, it was it was pretty accurate. So, you know. Folks always ask me, how do we know what you're saying is true? You don't have to listen to me. Listen to the people who who talk about it, uh, who do know what they're talking about. They seem to think that it's fairly accurate. So it was nice to hear. It was certainly nice to hear, yeah. But, you know, I put in, I put in real work on those things, man. The boxing ones are much harder to do because you can see the patterns much more quickly. They, be, they become evident much more quickly. But there is so much footage. Like it's very easy to take a fifteen-minute MMA fight, find you know approximately what I'll do is I'll if it's a fifteen-minute fight, I try to have two minutes or less of accumulated footage in the timeline. Um, that's easy. That's really easy. But when you have like they, I had to pick five boxing fights, and most of them had gone not the full. Well, the Isak Cruz one went the full distance. The what, what was it for? Leo Santa Cruz went to seventh. Roley Romero seventh or eighth. Gamboa went to the 12th. Now, granted, I can only pick from the second back before the issue happened with his foot. But anyway, there, it's just a lot of footage. Mario Barrios went to the 11th. Like, it's a ton of footage. So those are hard to do. But um, I, I like doing them, and people seem to find value. And the champ, the champ, I think, gave me some credit. I was, I was pretty happy with that. So if he's watching, thank you. And great work, obviously. Tremendous, tremendous KO. All right, look, here we go. Luke, more and more, I see fighters in interviews say phrases like, I'm in it for the money or doing this to take care of my family, etc. Personally, I don't see anything wrong with that. But do you feel like fighters are expressing the sentiment more these days than in the past? It feels to me like I hear that as a reason for fighting. 
and getting to the top more than for legacy <coughs> competition or just plain getting a belt. Would love to hear your thoughts. I got to tell you, it, you might hear it more. I actually think it's a good thing. I actually think it's a good thing. Um, when I first came up, um, you know, let's say 07 or so is when I really began to get going. 07, 08. You didn't hear as much of that. You actually didn't. You heard the opposite. You heard, um, this is my identity. This is a cause for you know, my soul, or this is what I was meant to do, or um, I'm in it for the glory, or um, something along the lines of, I'd do this for free if I could. You know, there was a real evangelism in the days of MMA, pre-Ultimate Fighter especially, but even after a post-Ultimate Fighter, because there was money to be had, some money, but it wasn't substantial, and it was coming out of the NHB days where there was this discovery of the power of early formed MMA, like, oh my God, this is a new form of fighting. And yes, don't get me wrong, paychecks were a big part of it, especially for those guys who jumped from UFC to Pride or something like that, where they were really trying to weigh their efforts, like a BJ leaving in 2004. I think that was partly K1, but you know, Randy having his issues after the Pedro Hizo deal and stuff like that. A lot of guys, he didn't go to Pride, but guys who were looking for uh, money in other ways. So that, that was definitely absolutely a component but it was coming out of this era where guys literally were doing it for free or were doing it for very marginal amounts of money and it still retained this kind of like martial arts glory this this purpose bigger than money and then as there's been more money that you can make in the sport and more money you can make without really being a ufc weight class champion there are ways in which you can do that um i think the calculus has changed I think the calculus has changed. So, yeah, I think what you're asking is, would it be nice if we had a sport where people were trying to, um, or where people were operating from a basis that got them to maximize the results better by creating loftier, more ambitious, more, more, here's the central difference, right? If I say something to the effect of, I would do this for free, and which I heard many times, you know, in my early, you know, in my, my mid to late twenties, in terms of talking to fighters, became part of their identity, became part of who they are. When you hear something like "I would, I want to make money for my family," or what did you put it? Uh, I'm in it for the money, blah blah blah. It does. It no longer becomes part of their full on unmitigated identity. It becomes part of just their work. And this moment in time, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. To be honest, it's there was a moment where Gervonta and Ryan during fight week, I did see this where they were having some. I think it was after the press conference or something. They were they were squabbling face to face after a face off, and Gervonta started pulling out like hundreds, like big fat stacks of cash, and Ryan goes, "You know, it's not about that player. You're going to find out. It's not about that." And he goes, "It's prize fighting, stupid." Like, like there was a certain more like I don't know about moral clarity, but there was a certain clarity of purpose about like what this really is all about and like what it means. And it just goes to show you just because one is transactional for you and one is more identity based, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to lift you to greater heights in the end. I, I know your question is that like in general, if people had bigger ambitions related to identity through a fighting career, would you get better results? Maybe on balance you would, but it goes to show person to person that's not necessarily true in general it's not necessarily true 
And more to the point, if you're finding guys who can say I'm in it for the money, that means there's enough in it without having to necessarily reach the very, very top. Some of the guys at the top talk like this too. Gervonta, you know, obviously he's, he's not at the top of his own weight class in terms of boxing belts, but in terms of becoming an attraction, I'd say he pretty much is. Um, so, you know, would it be better if you had slightly different ideals and identity factors involved? Maybe, maybe. It'd be a little bit better, but I don't think we're trading off much in the end. Also, I think like the guys who, again, some will make it to the top who are very transactional with it, and the guys who, it's it's a skills thing, man. Like, you know, the ones who really want it bad enough and have the skills, I still think are going to find ways to raise themselves to the top anyway. So my personal view. Your mileage may vary. Um, okay, let's going back to this. Uh, Luke, some additional thoughts from you on Aljo versus Cejudo. Initially, I found myself leaning towards Cejudo, but when a friend asked me how I thought Henry would win, I found myself a tad perplexed. Henry has the superior wrestling pedigree and arguably the better cleaner striker, which initially led me to favor him, but then again, Aljo isn't bad at wrestling. No, not at all. And while Henry does have good striking, Jan's is better, and Aljo managed to negate his and implement his own game plan. Aljo's size as well. I feel people aren't factoring how much that will play a factor. Aljo uh, should probably be at 140 and Henry a former 125 or blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I don't. I think your analysis is on the money. I mean, part of it is just the big X factor. Like, where is Cejudo at this stage of his career? Really is very hard to know. That was a nice win over Dominic Cruz in his last contest, but it's been some time since then. The division has moved on since then. It's gotten much better. And the guys who are already good have gotten better in that time. Um, I don't know if he's kept pace. It seems like he's kept himself abreast of the game. He does, you know, I know breakdowns on his YouTube channel. I think he does more than that. Um, he does coaching, obviously. Like he has kept himself busy and involved, but that's not the same as personally staying sharp. So there are relevant questions about where he's going to go. And he has always had very good game plans. At least, oh, I should say of late. In, uh, in his late run, he had very good game plans. I think he was working with Eddie Cha for that um, Dominic Cruz fight. Eddie Cha's a beast. I have a lot of respect for Eddie Cha. But to your point, Aljo is lanky. He is very good at creating and taking advantage of back exposure. He is good at holding the back. He is good at submissions from the back. Um, he is rangy. He is fast. He is athletic. Like, he could point fight on his way. He could get Henry to, um, you know, defend a takedown and then in the process get reveal his back and then he's off to the races. Like, yeah, I think... You know, Aljo suffers from the situation where a fair reading of his abilities would tell you. And I was surprised in the second Yon fight, too. Like everyone knows, I did not think Aljo had it in him, but he did. He did. And I think once you see something like that, you really got to reshape how you feel about him. The point I'm trying to make here is, you know, is he as popular a champion as I've ever seen? No, not necessarily. But he's as good as I've ever seen. He is an excellent fighter. He does not hold that title by accident. Um, and he has a very, very difficult skill set to deal with. He doesn't have to be the best wrestler. He has good cardio. By the way, he's made cataclysmic mistakes in the past, all of which he has learned from. Um, he can touch and go. He can work the full five. He knows how to apportion his offense. Like, dude, he's, he's a tough customer. Um, I, I don't know what the odds are in this contest. I'd be curious to see. Let's see. Um, what, what are the odds? It's actually interesting. Let's see here. So the odds. Let me blow this up for you. 
actually, so you can see. Here are the odds. It opened with Cejudo as a moderate favorite, changed a little bit to basically a pick 'em, and now it's giving Sterling the slight edge, slight edge heading into uh, not this Saturday, obviously, but the following. Yeah, I think it's about right. I would favor Sterling slightly, slightly. Again, the odds are not necessarily super reflective of the actual balance they're done to induce betting but i think that they more or less picked up on the like these two are very very closely matched but there are some lingering questions about cejudo and i mean if sterling got ko'd would you be surprised not necessarily but over the course of five rounds who do you think has a better shot of winning it seems to me aljo does in that circumstance Here we go. Good question. Look, what in the world is going on with Nate Diaz? And what is your take on the situation? I mean, I don't really, I just don't get what the fucking deal is at all. Um, <laughs> God, the first thing I would say is like, he needs security, right? He needs like real security. And when I mean security, I don't mean other tough guys around him. That's not, that's actually not what security is really is that's not how you should think of it security is designed to protect him and then keep him out of situations where he has to be exposed or engaged in violence right the whole point is to keep him safe and unhurt that's the whole idea um that's why you want big guys who they can take up a lot of space they can move people around they can cover you you know that's that's sort of what the point is and if you got guys who are big and strong and they can fist fight too that's great but the point I'm trying to make here is like you need he needs genuine, real, actual security. He needs security that can get him from a place to a car, a car to wherever his destination is, and he can do that with relative ease. Fist fighting in the street in Bourbon or wherever it was, what street ever it was in New Orleans, is so fucking risky and just it's not it's dumb. It, you know, it's just dumb to do that. It really is. Man, we live in a country that is there. There are more firearms in this country than there are people. I think at a bare minimum, there's one for every person. That's how many firearms are floating in circulation. And to say nothing of knives or any other kind of weapon that could be used in a situation like that to go like this in a street fight where you can't control hardly any of the variables. There's people coming and going, and there's all this madness. Um, Dude, it's you do enough of those, man. It's gonna go sideways. It's gonna go sideways, man. I mean, I've said this before. Even in my limited exposure, working the doors at bars in my twenties, we're not talking. I did that at most four, three years, three years and some change, and I still had a knife pulled on me. You know, like it's gonna happen. Like it's just it's a mathematical certainty that it's gonna go sideways. It's a violent. It, there are a lot of people in this country armed to the teeth who are also stupid, who don't have any <laughs> awareness about how and when to use weapons, any any restraint, anything. Like, it, it could go so bad. Dude. Oh, Tuki, come home. It's her birthday. You hear that? Yeah. I don't know if you can hear her screaming. I'll try to explain this. Um it, it could just go sideways so, so rapidly. Someone could pull a weapon. And even if you don't get hurt, some innocent bystander could get hurt. 
it just it just escalates everything into a problem scenario right away. And it's like, dude, he's 38 years old. I mean, it, 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 time is up. Time is up. Time is up on that. You know, uh, I like Nate a lot. I don't think he's a dumb guy. I think he's just engaging in behavior that probably for a portion of his life made sense to him. And he probably got away with stuff. And I understand that. I really do. I know a lot of guys who are like that. I know a lot of guys who are like that. Time's up on that, man. Time's up on that. Um, people can sue you for your money. They could stab you. They could shoot you. They could stab you. One of your friends, they could shoot one of your friends. And even if you live, like, what is the purpose of going through any of that? Like, what the fuck is the deal? You know, it just is so not uh, smart use of your time or resources or celebrity or anything. It's a, it's a fucking disaster. Like he'll probably get out of this situation. Obviously he was physically unharmed from what we know. And I know that the charge is a felony. I'm I'm confident that he'll be able to plead down or, you know, some kind of way to avoid jail time. I, I have all the confidence in the world. I'm sure he'll have a good lawyer because he has smart advisors. I don't think that will change in any capacity. But, like, it is time to stop engaging in this kind of behavior. And if you can't go out without doing this kind of stuff, then you can't go out to these places. And that sounds very easy for me to say. I don't have the kind of celebrity where I have to worry about that sort of thing. But it's like, if I did, I sure as hell wouldn't be leaving it to chance so that people who are Logan Paul impersonators could run up in my space. Like, that just seems like all bad. Uh, you know, it's it just, yeah, it, I mean, there's, it's utterly defenseless. It's defenseless. Like, is he legally responsible? I don't, Louisiana is a stand your ground law state, so... I don't know how that will be. I don't know what to say about that. But what I do know is like it, it I said the same thing when Joe Schilling got into that fist fight with that dude at the bar. Like I'm sure that the guy at the bar was as awful as everyone says he is. But man, you start swinging on people in public like that. You just don't know which way that's going to go, man. You really don't. You absolutely do not. And once you raise it to that level, it doesn't, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's unjustifiably risky behavior unjustifiably risky behavior is the best thing I can say about it. If he gets out of this without having any being physical harmed and without having to spend too much on lawyers and avoiding jail time, that will be the best example of the best luck in the world because you do that. I'm, I'm telling, especially in these red States that are filled with firearms, man. You're asking for problems. You're asking for, and not just problems, super easily avoidable problems. Young men of the world, you know, granted, Nate's a little different because he's got celebrity, but young men of the world, it is not difficult to go out and not get in fistfights. Very easy. Very easy. And if you're famous enough where this is a problem, then you need actual security, not your friends who are also good at fistfighting because that just compounds the problem. It doesn't make it any better. Um, I don't think any of these YouTubers who he or whoever the fuck these guys are who he's crossed paths with are the kind to, you know, shoot them up in the end. But it doesn't take much for the wrong guy to get crossed like that and who is, you know, reckless and stupid and armed. Again, last thing, look what happened to Leandro Lowe. You know, and that was, oh, what could he have done? I don't know. Because the situation is someone stole a bottle from his table. He went to go get it back. The guy refused. And I think he, I think either he used force to get it back or the guy swung on him and then used force to defend himself. But either way, force was involved. Guy got up and just shot him right in the face. 
Just shot him right in the face. In that particular situation, I don't know what you can do, but I don't know if Lowe had security with him or not. This is what I mean. Like, you need security. You need security. Like, if you're going to go out, you need security, period. I'm told, by the way, that he understands that now. I'm told by some of the people close to him that he has recognized that it's a problem now if he doesn't have security. Rolling with your friends who are MMA fighters looks pretty cool, you know? And again, those dudes can fight. I'm not saying that they can't. That is not the same as what professional security provides. Not even close. <laughs> this is funny. Any thoughts on Izzy going on a racial rant on Drickus? Referring to him as apartheid. <laughs> I did not hear that part. <coughs> Calling him cracker multiple times. Referring to him as a colonizer. The entire thing just felt hateful. It wasn't funny and they weren't trying to joke. He was just being racist towards the guy because he's a white South African. I did not hear, I did not get to the, if, if this came from the same thing, the ramble, young man ramble. I did not hear any of that part. So I have to hear it before I can fully comment on its accuracy or veracity one way or the other. But um, well, first of all, same thing I would say about anyone who says mean things. Uh, it's the fight game. People are going to say extra mean shit, whether it's true or not. Colby is the king of that. So there's that. Calling him a colonizer. I mean, he is the descendants of colonizers. That's That doesn't mean he has the same moral weight or responsibility. I mean, Americans are descendants of colonizers. I mean, um, by definition. But that doesn't you know mean we have the same weight that we carry from that. Um, referring to him as apartheid, um, you know, again... I don't think Drickus is responsible for apartheid. I think that would be kind of silly to say, calling him cracker multiple times. Yeah, that's one of those situations where it's a double standard, where the, where it's, you know, you can engage. I mean, the thing about this is, this, like, it's a double standard, but, like, I got to tell you, like, do I really feel offended by the word cracker? Just being honest with you, I really don't. I think it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a sad racial slur, in a sense. Like, it just is not very impactful at all, but to me anyway. But, like, listen, obviously... Any of those things, Drickus himself is not responsible for. So, like the the truth of it, or the veracity of it, you can decide for himself. But like he and like dude, he invites this by telling people who are descendants of various African and there's all different kinds of many different kinds of African people telling people who are descendants of that that they're not the real Africans when he's the descendants of actual colonizers. Which again, as Americans, we are as well. We are the descendants of colonizers. That's what we are. Um, you know, it's a little weird. <laughs> It's a little weird, uh, but I get it. Like he's obviously, he lives there. He is, I think, proud to be there. It just creates, it'd be one thing if he was like really pro like African and just that, but the fact that he was pro African and then also like you guys who live in New Zealand, you are not. Again, the term African can mean many different things depending on the audiences. And when you become exclusionary about it, um, I think that's when the problems begin. So that doesn't justify being called any of those things. And none of those things are, you know, he's not responsible for apartheid. He's not an actual colonizer himself. Like, none of those things are actually in any way accurate. But um, I think if they had a fight, it would be really ugly. It would be really ugly. And it would dredge up these. The fight game dredges up these questions of identity all the time. It's much more pronounced, actually, in boxing than it is in MMA. But you're starting to see it creep up in MMA almost as much. Where, you know, if you're Mexican, you have to root for the Mexican guy in the fight. If you're Puerto Rican, you have to root for the Puerto Rican guy. Or if it's a Latino guy versus someone who's not and you're of, you know, Latino ancestry, you're 
almost obligated to cheer for that guy. It really has become that way in boxing. It's quite overwhelming um, and burdensome. I actually think they actually go a bit too far, but yeah. I mean, you're asking me like, what do I think about fighters saying antagonistic things about their rivals? Like most of the time, they're not going to say factual things. They're sometimes going to engage in nasty slurs and, and then the next fight happens and it repeats itself all over again. This is just the uh, latest version of it. But um, I don't feel bad for Drickus. I got to tell you that. I don't feel bad for him. Isn't to say that those things said about him are true. But do I feel bad about him? Like having invited this debate? Not really. Uh, okay. Luke, Flow Grappling is reporting they've got ADCC for 2024. What happened with UFC Fight Pass? Yeah, I don't know. That's weird because I've still got that interview coming out and uh, I don't. Is that true? Let's let's see here. That's that's interesting. Huh? Well, that's weird. That's true. What he's saying is true. Holy smokes. Yeah, look at this. Yeah. ADCC will return to flow grappling for the 2023-24 season. Watch the 80-24. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I So I've got this interview that I did a while ago kind of just sitting on hiatus with um, Mo Jassim, who's the head of ADCC. I guess I'd have to get some clarification from him. It's a great question. I don't know the answer. Here we go, Luke. Any stories you can share about weird ad reads or copy you've been given? I imagine some of the shit they ask you to say is ridiculous. And I've always been curious how you deal with that. Thoughts of this while watching UMBC crack up on the Testo stack on Monday. Yeah, I mean, they don't really come to us with anything that crazy. Most of the time, it's actually the opposite. Most of the time, if there's crazy, it's like we've had various brands who are, I'll just say, involved in the cannabis business who want to advertise on the show and we can't, we're not allowed to do that. Um, even though I think it'd be like quite on brand and cannabis is, I think much more a mainstreamed um, product these days than it ever has been. Didn't I just see that in the, the new CBA that was agreed to by the NBA and the NBA PA that athletes were allowed to are, are through that allowed to have cannabis sponsorships and cannabis businesses. So, you know, that part has been um, a subject of, of contention to a degree. But in general, they don't really come to us. The only thing that we ever change is like, uh, we did one for a VPN and I hadn't used it. And I told them, I'm like, yo, I've never used this. I'm not going to say I've used it. And they're like, okay, fine. You can work around it. But they've never come to us like, hey, why don't you go eat Crazy Steve's shit sandwiches down there on, um, you know, Smith and Main Boulevard. Go down there. He's serving. He's serving shit sandwiches. Go eat something. Like I'm not reading. It's never been anything like that. It's more like, hey, I love this product and I've been using it for three months. Well, that's not true. I've not been using it for three months, but you get the idea. All right, good question. I like this one, Luke. How do you rate Duplessis versus Whitaker in terms of lopsided matchmaking? Am I missing something? Because it seems like Duplessis is clearly levels below Whitaker. It almost seems like they're trying to force a third fight with Izzy. It seems that way to me as well. But I don't really get it. I mean, I guess you could give Duplessis a fight now and you could just have him fight Izzy. That's a thing you could do. Um, 
I don't know how well that would do on pay-per-view. I don't know how competitive that would be. Here's what I'll say for Duplessis. Skill for skill, he is very outmatched against Whitaker. But the difference is, the one thing I think that gives him some and makes the fight somewhat interesting is Whitaker should pick him apart and ultimately, I think, win either a lopsided decision or uh, stop him inside the distance. But Duplessis is like, um, he's unpredictable at times. He's a little wild at times. And that does create openings, especially for guys who are as sniper-like precise as Robert Whitaker is. But um, it also makes him a little bit dangerous. It means he could throw something that you just really could not anticipate because it just wouldn't make sense. You would never think of putting things together in that way. You would never imagine putting pieces of the puzzle like that together to make it work. It just doesn't compute. And so you, it makes you vulnerable. He, he is willing to go to certain directions that more conventional strategies and more conventional tactics don't have you go. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're looking up at the lights because he hit you with something you just never saw coming. It, it does put that into play, which is why, like, there can be a talent discrepancy, but you'll see the one who is like the clear favorite in certain times be like, eh, you got to watch out for this guy. You got to be careful. Like, yeah, it's something like that here, too. You know, convention for convention in terms of skills, Whitaker is just miles ahead. But in that unpredictability and the risk taking, and the, you know, and again, that can blow up in his face too. But it does create some danger, creates a little bit of hesitation. It creates a certain risky unknown that I think will make this fight at least early a little bit more competitive. What will be more interesting to me is once Whitaker gets a real beat on him, I think then it's, you know, it's probably lost at that point. But early to midway through the fight. I could see Duplessis being, or even uh, either early to mid or at the very, very end, he could be competitive, right? Early early to mid, and then I think the last half is all but gone, except for the very end, he could do something kind of crazy if the fight goes that long. But Whitaker, man, Whitaker's got too many skills. He's got too much experience. He's too sharp. He's too good. I just feel like you're headed towards Izzy Whitaker 3, and... um Listen, after Izzy beat Pereira in his fourth try, second in MMA, but fourth try, what's to say that Whitaker couldn't win in the third one? He got real close in the second, real close in the second. So I, uh, <coughs> you know, forced to make a pick. This is easy. I'm picking Whitaker. But I sort of get that Duplessis is a little bit of a wild card, and I think you, it'd be foolish to, to look past that. Um, I don't even know what the point of a question like this is unless you're in third grade. Uh, let's see. Luke, I was just wondering how you see the MMA media covering the first one championship card in the U.S. next week. It seems most MMA sites rarely, if ever, cover them at all. The cards are even left off of their website's scheduled events page. And even though they write about thing like influencer boxing, either in the U.S. or even in the U.K., one consistently, this person writes... Puts on great fights, but other than people like Jack Slack or One's own strong social media presence, it rarely gets traction on any major MMA sites. What can be done to get bigger sites to cover their action-oriented and very impressive product? Boys and girls, this is very, very easy for you to understand. I will make it clear. Why would an MMA site... Serious question. Why would an MMA website put more emphasis on influencer boxing than a MMA promotion or, say, a martial arts promotion that's based overseas? 
This is about the easiest thing to figure out on earth. It's because the traffic you're going to get from influencer boxing is going to be many, 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 many multiples of something. Guys, this is not at all difficult. If you are wondering why Conor McGregor takes a dump and then there's 15 articles about it or chews gum and spits it on the sidewalk and there's 30 articles about it, it's because they do traffic, not because there's necessarily a ton of journalistic value. Now, I think the sites often, people think it's either one or the other, like they go all in on just influencer boxing and they don't pay attention to other stuff. It's never really that simple in, in, in the following sense. It's simple to understand why they would give major priority to influencer boxing. Guys, in the history of CBS Sports, ready for this? Do you know what the number one day is for media traffic? Number one day, serious? This is all-time historic. Ready? It's Jake Paul versus um, Tommy Fury. Blew the doors off traffic. Now, to you and me, that might be like, well, seriously, what the fuck? Yes. Massive. Massive. How about this? It beat out Gervonta. Oh, no, I think Gervonta versus Ryan tied it in terms of web traffic for CBS Sports' uh, MMA and boxing section. Tied it. Those are the two biggest ones since they had any kind of serious apparatus over there. I mean, just, just noodle that for a second. The audience for those things... Obviously, for a major boxing fight, yes. But I'm talking about the influencer side. The audience for it is enormous. Enormous. You can like that or you cannot like that. But that is the reality. It's huge. That's why there's a ton of emphasis put on that. Um, conversely, there is not a huge audience for one here. Now, I agree that if you're looking at like who is doing relevant fights, one wins every time. If you're looking at who is doing something actually novel and interesting, like the four-ounce Muay Thai, it's one. Like One will get coverage by virtue of journalistic responsibility, which they will also do. Like MMA fighting won't do a ton of stuff for things that don't give them traffic, but they will do what I would consider the bare minimum or maybe even slightly better than that. Um, in terms of making sure that they give enough comprehensive coverage to things that merit coverage just based on news, not on what it will return. But the way in which these sites make money is based off the overall amount of clicks they get, how long people are on the site, how many articles they read while they're there, how many times do they click to video assets, how many video assets play while they're on there, how many ads get populated for how long. They want you on the site, they want you going from story to story, and they want to keep you there as long as possible. You do that with the things that are going to get much more audience retention and generation than the opposite. Very easy to explain that. That is exactly why that happens. And anybody who works at any kind of site who tells you that's not true is fucking lying to you 100%. They might change the calculus a little bit. They might go a little bit more towards journalistic responsibility and a little less on the click-heavy stuff. That's fine. But all of these sites, unless they're subscription-based, they all work the same way with with slight differences here or there some might have a greater social push some might be more video asset based or whatever but they want you on their sites they want you there through search they want you there organically they want you there going from article to article they want you there for time retention all those things and they do that that way so really the issue is one's quality is not so much in my mind at issue one's quality is pretty high for any non-ufc MMA, or in this case, I think it's more fair to call them a martial arts-based promotion. Um, they just don't have any kind of American footprint beyond the hardcore audience, but the hardcore audience is small. It's a tiny, tiny fraction of what the actual audience is that watches MMA. So there's your problem. There's your problem. And you're like, how do you get them to cover stuff that doesn't do big traffic? You have to, you can't. 
<laughs> not going to work. It doesn't, it won't work. It's, it's really, it's not difficult at all. You need them. You need those things to generate traffic. They can do, people are like, oh, if the media gave it more attention, it would do bigger traffic. That's true to an extent and in very rare circumstances. But in general, it has to already be interesting to the audience. And then the sites aggregate that and feed it back to them. They are, a, if you don't like what is on websites, all those websites are is mostly, not entirely, mostly a reflection of what generates traffic for them. So just look there and you can see what it does. And if it doesn't, if an article has, you know, it's lower on the, on the reverse chronological order, it doesn't have a lot of comments, then it's probably there for journalistic obligation. Everything else is there to pay the bills. One has not produced content sufficient to generate eyeballs. It really is as simple as that. Same goes for PFL, same goes for Bellator, same goes for most of them. Um, question about Hamzat in Abu Dhabi. I don't have any good answer for you, so I'm going to skip that. Ah, good one. I like this one. Here we go. Uh, okay. I know it's been a couple of weeks, but we never got to hear your overall thoughts on Max Holloway and his performance against Arnold Allen. I think he looked great. I'm also interested to know if you felt a lot of the media outlets wanted him to lose. He seemed super amped up afterwards. I know a lot of people recognize the damage he has taken, but I was surprised to see the reaction of a lot of outlets who seemed genuinely disappointed that he won. I get that Allen is a great rising contender, but I noticed so many publications and outlets seemingly upset, actually upset that he won in their post-fight shows. It was strange. Well, I did not get a chance to see any of that, which isn't to say it didn't happen. I just didn't see it. So I can't speak to that too much. I will tell you that there's a really easy way to understand that, though, is that um, everyone wants the division to move on from Max, and he is not ready for the division to move on from him. Uh, but okay, how did he look? I thought he looked great. <laughs> I thought he looked great. I thought he looked fresh. I thought he looked focused, engaged, made good decisions. Um, you know, had some tough times. Definitely in that fifth round, I thought Arnold Allen won that one. Well, what other round did he win? First or second? I can't, I have to go back and remember. But there was two rounds where I thought he really gave Max problems, the fifth one especially. So he was a very, you know, we knew Arnold Allen was going to be a really good competitor. And it turns out like when he could turn the volume up and really pressure Max backwards, he had a lot of success. But, um, man, Max is, Max is special. Most statistically tested chin, and sturdiest chin in MMA history. I think that's pretty fair. Um, no one's taken as many punches as him without ever being knocked down. It's remarkable. And I, I tweeted this at the time because I was actually watching a night in my bed uh, on vacation on my phone when my family had gone to sleep. And uh, I remember watching and I thinking to myself at the end, like I wanted to look up all the guys who he's beaten in his UFC run that were not title fights. You know, just forget that. Just his non-title resume. Dude, it's filled with good fighters. I mean, filled, filled. Even his non-title wins and his non-title fights are still like absolute stellar, especially more of late, like this one in the air fight. It's incredible, man. It's incredible to go through what he has been through and still be this fresh, this focused, this desired. He's a special athlete. Max Holloway is a special, special, special athlete. Um, 
it creates problems is really why I think the sites, if to the extent that you're right, I think that they they're everyone's kind of ready for Max to be like, all right, well, what's the next chapter? Because this one's done. He's like, yeah, it's not done for me. I really don't know, dude, because, yeah, the fight with Yair was a battle and he was better in the end. And the fight with Arnold was close, but he was better in the end. He's just better than everyone else not named Alex, it seems like. I don't really – I mean, I guess he could fight Topuria. That would be an interesting fight, Topuria versus Max. Wow, now that I think about it. I know Topuria is going to fight Emmett, but I guess the winner of that fighting Max will tell you a lot. you know. But if Max wins that one, you've got to have a Max Volk 4. Volk being like, get out of my division because you're just killing off my contenders. He's right. But at the same point, like if you're Max and you don't want to go to 155, and I don't think 155 is a better alternative alternative, excuse me, for him. I think 145 is actually where he does his best work by far. Um, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? But dude, I could not. I was. I really thought this was going to be the fight where he looked a little shop worn. He had his legs under him the entire time. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how good he looked. I could not believe. Just how that year off did him good, and I know he split with his uh, his manager, who at the time I still know him, but um, I I think the world of I thought I think the world of his ex manager, one of the best managers in the game, you know. So it wasn't just that he had time off coming off a bad loss and everything else. Like there was a lot of turmoil or change anyway in Max's life during that time, and he still looked that good. It's yeah, it's Max's you know next level. The thing is, it's like look, okay. It's one thing to prove, and it's a big thing. I don't want to minimize it. It's a huge thing, actually, that he proved he's not shopworn, that he still has gas in that tank, and that he still is probably better than anyone else named Volkanovsky. Okay. All right. That's a big thing that he proved. I simply can't say it any other way. Extremely impressive. But... That is not the same thing as proving that a fourth fight with Volkanovsky, or at least giving you strong reason to believe that a fourth fight with Volkanovsky might go another way. Um, so if you're in the UFC, you have a really difficult choice. You can send contenders through Max, hope that they win, and it naturally kind of solves the problem. But they tried that with Yair. They tried that with Arnold. It didn't work. So Max is still there. Are you going to burn yet a third contender if Taporio ends up beating Emmett? That doesn't make a lot of sense. So they might just be forced into it again. I I don't unless you can move him off this weight class, which again, if I'm Max, I would not advise. I would advise staying. We might just have to accept that the ch- the champion has a responsibility to defend his belt against the dominant fighter in the weight class, not named himself. And in this case, it's Max. But I was really, really, I was just, I've always been, I've been impressed with Max so many times for so many years. And it's always been for each time, you know, a a different reason or a new wrinkle or something else. And I wondered, I was like, man, is he really going to have another rabbit in his hat after what Volkanovsky did to him at UFC 276? Boy, he sure did. He sure did. Max is special, special. And here's the one thing he's up against with BJ Penn. Folks have asked me, like, you know, where does he rank all time as Hawaii's best fighter? The answer is, like, clearly Max. The only thing Max doesn't have that BJ had, at least represented, was one. Remember, BJ was kind of a record breaker where he was the first American to win the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu National or World Championships. Right? So here comes this guy out of nowhere, and he was fucking wrecking people, you know? 
And that was one thing. And he got called a prodigy. And he was, you know, going up in all these different weight classes. But, like, when BJ was on top of the world, either after he beat Matt Hughes or when he was back at 155, um, he had a claim as, like, pound-for-pound best. You know, I mean, it was debatable. You could have said Anderson. You could have said Fedor at that time. But he was he was top three at bare minimum. And in many cases, he was, like, number one. Max has never been that, relatively speaking, in the sport. But in terms of, like, who's the most accomplished fighter and who's done the most in terms of, like, just amazing achievements, I would argue that Max has surpassed BJ at this point. Um, especially with all the losses BJ had, like the level of consistent. I mean, that's, that's the thing, dude. The level of fucking consistent excellence from Max. It's just remarkable. It's remarkable, dude, to go through what he's been through and to still look this good. The reason people were shaking their head was they were hoping, not that they were reaching, wishing for like his downfall in like a we don't like Max kind of way, but wouldn't it be neat and tidy for everything involved for Max to then begin to be giving up his seat for the next up and coming contenders at 145. Yes, it would. And I think that's what you might be detecting was that. And also people like Arnold Allen. Arnold Allen's a very easy guy to like. He's he's cool as hell. Like he's awesome. But Max will not be denied. <laughs> he simply will not be denied. He will not be denied. He will not be denied by you. He will not be denied by me. He will not be denied by Yair Rodriguez or Arnold Allen or any of those guys. The only other thing that makes it change is also if you're Max, it's worth waiting out too because here's the deal. Like, do I think Volkanovski is better than Yair? Yes. So I think he'll win probably. But Yair, talking about vicious, unpredictable threats. Now, he's not unpredictable in the way that Drickus Duplessis is where I think Drickus just sometimes does random shit that doesn't make sense. Whereas uh, Yair it almost brings in a level of acrobatic offense and that to me are those are not the same even though they both get called unpredictable um and so i think he's a real threat to volkanovsky so what if yair beats volk they're gonna make yair do it again right in all likelihood because you're, you're beating the number one pound for pound guy at that point or you know one or two and uh then Max is going to have to fight somebody else, probably Tapuria at that point. And then the winner of that four-man tournament will be the winner of the whole thing. Yeah, dude, Max will not be denied. Incredible. You just won't see many guys like that, dude. You won't see many guys who can walk through what he's been through and still look this good. And to, to be that, that's the part too. It's like, you know, one thing is he's not shop worn, but dude, to be that driven, you know, to be that, to, to after that amount of setback, difficulty, ups, downs, where I know I'm told the majority of the money he makes isn't even from UFC. It comes from other stuff. And to, to still be that driven, he is he is um, one of one, man. Max Holloway is one of one. Again, someone asking kind of the same question. I watched Izzy's channel about him reclaiming his belt, and he shouted you out for figuring out his game plan. It must be nice to get shout out from such a high-level fighter. Yeah, dude, uh... He ain't the only one. He ain't the only one. Um, Demetrius Johnson's done it. Uh, Max's coaches have done it to me. Uh, Max has done it. You know, like, it ain't bullshit fighters who, tell, who are telling you I can do it. It ain't, it ain't bullshit fighters. It's good ones. I had a fighter reach out asking for some help when I was on vacation. Um, so, you know, I, again, I feel 
I'm, I always give you the exact same disclaimer. I don't present these findings to be the best or the only or the most complete, just mine. I always encourage you to hear what other analysts have to say. Yo, I mean that. I actually mean that. That being said, I still believe that what I'm able to turn in provides value to a large amount of, of different um, t- kinds of fight fans. So um, here's a question for you guys. I should have brought this up at the top, but I didn't think of it. I need to figure out what to do because... I believe that those videos that I make are made well within the um, considerations of fair use of the footage. Uh, But the reality is just because you believe that doesn't necessarily mean you can win on the claims. And even if you can win on the claims, and I actually think that I could, it takes a long time to get that adjudicated, in which case your videos can get um, held up in any kind of copyright review process for long periods of time, in which case it gets messed up. So what would you rather see? Would you rather see me open up memberships on this channel? I would release the videos early. You would see them early, and then I'd put them out for free later on in the week so that the larger audience could see them. Or should I do a Patreon? Now, if I do a Patreon, it would be the same thing. You guys would see everything there early. I'd put it out later in the week, but I would do more on the Patreon, maybe an extra chat, maybe... You guys could reach me much more directly if you're paying for it. I would, uh, you know, I would eliminate my my email address and you could just reach me there or, you know, find other ways in which to make that worth your time. What do you want? Would you want Patreon? Would you want uh, YouTube memberships? Because either way, I feels like I'm going to have to do something. Um, the normal copyright system doesn't care about what I use, but there are extra mechanisms that copyright holders can take to hold you up. And to mess with you, which has happened to me, to make things difficult. Now, as you can see, I put it right back up and there was no problem because, it, again, I believe it falls under fair use. And uh, I maintain that to my grave. Uh, but that doesn't ultimately solve all of my problems coming right off fight week. So I need to figure it out. Luke, I want to ask you what is next for Ryan Garcia at 140. I'll tell you what's next for Ryan Garcia. He needs a tune-up. He needs a tune-up fight. Um, Ryan Garcia has some real problems he has to address. I don't know that it would be fair to call him a hype job. I don't think that's really quite accurate, but he was not on Tank's level at all. Um, Very little. Um, Tank is just way better than him. Dude, I want you to go back and look. When he gets dropped the first time, he throws a left hook. By the way, he throws it three times in a row. Like Leo Santa Cruz throwing that right hand three times in a row. Like you do you 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 create a pattern on tank. He's going to he's gonna fuck you up. And that's what happened. So that's the first problem. The second problem is I want you to pay attention to something. He has inside foot position in open stance, right? So open stance is this, where it's a southpaw versus, or excuse me, in this case it'd be a southpaw versus an orthodox fighter. Yeah where they have they do look like mirror images of each other because they're standing in such a way they have open on one side he has the inside foot position on the lead foot battle now that's nothing there's nothing wrong with that by itself especially if you're jabbing because if you're jabbing it brings your lead shoulder closer to their your target ultimately for a jab but if you're trying to get the power shot what ends up happening is if i'm angled this too far forward the punch has to come across my body to reach the target over here whereas if i have stepped out then i can create a lane for my shoulder see that when i step out puts my shoulder in line for what i want rather than having to punch 
across like that. <coughs> he surrenders deep inside foot position and throws a hook. Now, even that necessarily is not the end of the world, but he does it enough times where you can be timed, and he did it so deeply where he ends up coming across here. Tank has this hand ready for him, driving into him. He actually runs into the punch uh, at like this insanely dominant angle. And uh, Tank has his head way off the center line. Dude, he's fighting in straight lines and then surrendering position in the most important part of that exchange. Like, I grant that Tank is a special talent. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe, I think Shakur Stevenson beats him, but, you know, anybody else, I think Tank is a huge problem for. So we're not talking about some fucking chump. We're talking about a very good fighter. But if you think that Tank is the only guy who can take advantage of that, like, I got news fucking for you, man. <laughs> Try that shit against Regis Progre at 140. Regis Progre will set him on fire doing that. You can't do it, dude. You can't do it. He fights on straight lines going forward. He fights on straight lines going backwards. He he has fast hands. Yes, he's got a dynamite left hook, no doubt about it. A few of those right hands definitely were getting some of Tank's attention. But the position battle, the real estate battle, he loses all the time all the time you cannot do that against upper tier guys dude you cannot do that i've said this before if you guys don't like watching boxing day after day weekend after weekend you only like to pop in for the big ones cool man not trying to sell you on it but i'm trying to explain something to you when you do watch it, especially from an mma perspective dude mma is more varied obviously there's so much more going on and so it creates this weird and amazing and brilliant and vicious kind of uh you know, mixed, quite literally vibrant style of fighting. But you can get away with a lot more bullshit because the level of skill on the other guy in each dimension, you know, jack of all trades, master of none kind of scenario, you can just get away with a lot more shit than you ordinarily would be in boxing, dude. Like I'm telling you, against these good guys, like, you know, BC was telling me, what about uh, Tank versus Frank Martin? Have you guys seen Frank Martin? <laughs> unforgiving with mistakes unforgiving he has some of the best pull two counters in the fucking game and he lights people on fire with it. the amount of precision and the amount of like very very small windows they're able to take advantage of is is absurd relative to mma absurd there's so much more in that particular department they're so much more technical and so much more unforgiving with that like, whoever Ryan fights next needs to go back to that Javier Fortuna level, whatever that is, at 140. He has shit to work on if he wants to actually be one of the better guys in the world at 140 pounds. And I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, I am telling you, if I can see it on tape, I guarantee you Calvin Ford saw it on tape. And I guarantee you whoever his next opponent will will see it on tape. If I can, people all, all uh, this is my response to everyone. I see people being like, oh, you're giving so-and-so's game plan away. Folks, if I'm giving your game plan away, you got a lot more problems than me giving away your game plan. Right? Right? If, 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 a, if a doofus like me can see all that stuff, then you know the pro guy can. Then you know, and they will. And they will. Dude, yeah, it's you know, easier said than done. I get it. But uh, 
I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you, he has shit to work on. He cannot at all under any circumstance try and keep taking this level of opponent. It will go poorly for him. Uh, what happened to extra credit? Just taking a hiatus. It might come back. Oh, man, this was so bad. Do you believe Stefan Bonner's death could be related to undiagnosed CTE and how big of a concern do you think it is for MMA athletes? I mean, the coroner, if you guys saw that, the coroner said the report was that it was um, fentanyl. Damn, man, that is fucking brutal. Brutal, man, brutal, just brutal. The amount of people we've lost due to accidental overdoses with fentanyl is atrocious. I know someone, um, not in my family, but in someone I care deeply about's family, they lost someone who I had met, I had known. Um, he overdosed um, in his car, and he didn't mean to. It was from fentanyl. Um, terrible. It's a scourge on humanity, to put it mildly. Um, but you, the question would be, to what extent would other cognitive or psychological issues as a result of brain damage exacerbate any particular need for medicinal consumption or otherwise some kind of psychological need that he would, may have been trying to get at? I don't know. I know a lot of fighters have told me they've had problems being addicted to pain pills at various points in their careers. Most of them able to beat it. Most of them able to beat it. Um but I know it's a problem. Um, so it, to me, like it seemed like Stefan's situation, Stephen, uh, Stephen, Stephen Bonner, it seemed to me that his situation was probably a bit of a nexus of a few problems. One, I don't think he made a lot of money out of fighting. You know, I think that's one problem. And I think two, he probably had some, I mean, do you guys remember the, um, the video that they found? They showed where he was pulled over for drunk driving and he was so drunk when they opened the door, he kind of fell out of the car. And couldn't he was like barely awake like he clearly has some substance abuse issues you know he was endangering himself and others um so he had you know who knows what kind of money issues he had substance abuse issues he might have had some other again i'm speculating that's all i'm doing he might have had some ct issues and god knows what other other things may have played a role where it ended up in a situation where he was he was barely hanging on man he was barely hanging on it is uh you know, I don't agree with almost anything Sean Strickland says, but what he did say that, you know, it's a shame that this guy can be a pioneer and then forgotten about in the same lifetime. Um, he's right. He's right. He's right. Uh, but without having real medical information about what, what had happened to his brain and everything else, I'm only speculating, folks. I hope everyone understands that. I'm not in any way making in. I just I'll just leave it at that. I think I I think I've said enough at this point. All right, um, let's see what you got in terms of the pay questions. Again, if you don't, no big deal. But if you do, we'll get to them now. So let's see what we have. Yeah, yeah, not too many. The chat's been off for almost a month, so I, I recognize that folks would be a little bit skittish to come back. All right. Many argue that Volk is the best featherweight of all time. However, Max holds ninety percent of the records at featherweight and great strength of schedule. Where do you stand on GOAT featherweight talks? It will depend on how you define things. If you define them as like who beat who, then yes, Volk will be better. But if you're looking at who has done more in this weight class, then it reintroduces Jose because he actually has, uh, you know, obviously a significant amount of in time in that division doing great things. So really it depends on your definition. Are you one of those guys where it's like if X beat Y, then it's X. 
in which case it's almost always just the modern guy or like who did a lot against you know noteworthy competition and what can we say about that that body of work that they've turned in in that sense it would be max thoughts on haney versus loma personally i think prime loma would have been able to take this but at this point haney is too much for him haney is interesting Haney, I think, beats Loma. I think Loma doesn't quite have the speed. I don't think quite has the agility he once did. And he's going to be, dude, Haney is a tough guy to fool. It's not easy to fool him. Tank, to me, is a much more interesting fight for Haney because I think Haney could ease. I mean, most guys can win a lot. Uh, I won't say a lot, but most guys can win rounds against Tank, right? Slow starter. He surrenders rounds all the time. Landed four punches in two rounds. Still knock Ryan down, but you see the point, like, his foot is not on the gas in terms of output at all. Haney can touch and go and win those rounds, no doubt about it. The thing is, I've seen him rattled, getting hit with a big shot. Tank is too sharp to not land at least a few of them. And I wonder what that might do. So that, to me, that, that fight's really interesting. The difference is that when you get to Shakur Stevenson's level, that's when I think it becomes a hill too big for Tank. Um, don't know that. Don't know that, but... Shakur is so fucking precise, and I mean, everything is on a razor's edge. Every, everything is so pinpoint. He's a tough guy to beat. He's a tough guy. He's That's a real tough guy to beat. Uh, okay, James says, going to be in D.C. in a few weeks. Other than storming the Capitol, <laughs> uh, what's a donk to do out there, food and drink? Uh, well, if you're not going to try and overthrow the government or do a riot or whatever they want to call it, um, let's see. Best burger, Duke's Grocery. If you like Indian food, Rasika. If you like um, Ethiopian food, Dukem. It's spelled like Duke and then the letter M at the end. Dukem on U Street. If you like Mexican food, ooh, that's a little tougher. Um... Oh, what's it called? Mescaleria. Oh, what the fuck is the name? I haven't been there in like a year. Um, you can go to Mi Vida. Mi Vida's pretty good too. There's two locations. There's one at the wharf. There's one at 14th. 14th in general has a bar. You can go to oh, amazing uh, food and tapas. Barcelona on 14th. You can go to Gibellina on 14th. Um, La, Dipl or, uh, La Diplomat on 14th is also pretty awesome. Uh, I've not been to any of the newer spots on the wharf. Like Gordon Ramsay has some shit out there. Um, I'm told it's good. I've not been out there. Um, best best, best bar, Little Miss Whiskey's, Jimmy Valentine's, um, things to do. Dude, the museums are sick. Uh, yeah, I'm done. I'm almost done. Um, the African-American History Museum is one of the best ones in town. Washington Monument's cool. You can take a tour of the Senate. Your congressman might be able to give you a tour of the whole, uh, that can happen, can give you a tour of the Capitol in certain times. Um you can go by the Supreme Court, although they they kind of put up a lot more security around Supreme Court these days. But it's right next to the Library of Congress. You can go to Arlington Cemetery. You can go see the Iwo Jima Memorial. Semper fucking fight, everyone. Um, dude, it's just, it's endless. It's endless shit you can do. If you want to get out of town, there's not Six Flags. It's right outside the city. There's horse farms. You can go gamble at the MGM National Harbor. You can watch boxing matches out there, too. Like, there's a ton of shit to do. There's a ton. Luke, do you listen to Lana Del Rey? No, I'd rather get uh, shot in the face with Ebola. No. Selective outrage canceled. Jonathan Majors gets canceled. Nothing happens to Dana White, Ezra Miller. Yeah, is this Dana White privilege? Yeah, did you guys see this? So Jonathan Majors, if I'm, let me pull his story up because I just saw. Um, 
here. Here, look. Share it with you. This is the guy. Here, I'll blow up an image of him. This is him. You've seen him in, um, he was in, um, what you call it? He was in Creed. He was in uh, Ant-Man, I think. He was in the Loki series. He's built like a brick shit house. Anyway, he is uh, allegedly have been involved in a series of domestic dispute. Then he got dropped by his label. He's been dropped by just a bunch of fucking, I mean, everyone in the industry is like letting him go. And he, the question this person's asking is how he gets canceled and nothing happens to Dana White and Ezra Miller. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, <laughs> Dana White escaping any kind of issue on that whole thing is like the most remarkable fucking you've got to be kidding me kind of thing. I mean, I didn't call for his job because I just didn't know what the right answer was. I mean, his wife hitting him does, I think, somewhat slightly alter the scenario a little bit. Like, they just seem to be, maybe that's a whole abusive thing that they go back and forth with. Like, the idea to me that that's the first time they've ever hit each other, just, just, I no way, shape, or form is that true. I don't believe that even for a fucking second, nothing. But, like, to what extent is... um is he able to skate versus the opposite? Um, you know, I think it's less a product of I can point to this guy's race and I can point to that guy's race and explain it, although the coincidence here certainly seems noteworthy. It just seems to me that the one factor that I think that that analysis misses is that we live in an industry where in the combat sports industry, people's level of care about personal malfeasance is extremely low. Whereas in a Hollywood scenario where everything is about appearances and everything is about what kind of image you're giving off and everything is about the associations you make as a consequence, they're just going to be much more sensitive to that kind of thing. Whereas in MMA, the fan base didn't necessarily want Dana gone. The fighters did not necessarily want Dana gone. The relative advertisers didn't seem to mind. Like in when it comes to the fight game, People rob each other. People hit each other. People do all manner of disrespectful, awful, and some certain cases illegal things to each other. And no one really seems to care. The amount of effort people put into policing someone else's personal malfeasance is next to zero. Folks of all been like, how can Don King still exist in the fight business and even at whatever level he's existing at? This is how. This is how. Because people just oh don king must have killed a guy you know back in the day nobody nobody cares he was involved with the mob nobody some of the media might care you might care i might care but the overwhelming majority of other people in the industry it just doesn't it just doesn't seem to matter you can get away with a shit ton there's certain things you probably couldn't do i would imagine that you know crimes against children would not be viewed favorably but like it's almost like prison politics it's like what are you in here for it's like, as long as your crime isn't you know i don't know hurting kids or whatever you know you're you you're you'll be fine on the yard you know short short of that it's like you're okay it's it's, it's a similar level of like tolerance people just don't give a shit you know and uh, that doesn't mean i don't doesn't mean you don't but like the only way you can escape what he did it was one to be like extremely wealthy and privileged. That's one, but the other part, like again, that this analysis misses about strictly making it a race issue is that 
it's more about the fight game. The fight game will just tolerate anything, almost, almost anything. Uh, what could the WNBA and women's soccer team learn from the UFC? What? I believe there isn't as much discrepancy in public attention between male and female fighters as there is between other leagues. Um, the only thing that I think could... I, I don't think the WNBA can learn a fucking thing from the UFC. Um, it's by definition a different organization. Um, the only thing, and I don't know how solvable this problem is, but like the only thing that could fix that would be like in tennis, for example, you have mixed doubles where you can have like a man and a woman versus a man and a woman, you know, there's going to be two men or two women, you know, you can do that. I mean, maybe they could have like a summer league where it's like the women and men, if there has to be the same amount of women and men on the team and blah, blah, blah. You could do something like that. But inherently, these are divided sports by gender. There's not so much you can do, whereas the UFC has this ability to like make cards in together and they can make it the crown jewel if they wanted to, if it's big enough. The other leagues simply don't have that kind of flexibility. So how do you do that when you have women's only soccer or women's only basketball? You know, the UFC doesn't have any wisdom to impart in that. I, I think they got... I mean, again, Dana White was on the record to being like, women will never be here. It's not like he had the foresight to think this was going to be a great, successful thing. It kind of fell in his lap, and then they rode the wave a little bit with what Ronda was able to do, and then subsequently all the other folks. But it wasn't like they had like a clear vision for it from day one. They didn't. It, they got, it's like the discovery of champagne. They got a little lucky with it, you know. Para la cumpleanera. Thank you very much for my little one. Uh, hello, Mr. Luke. Which current and past boxers do you and Mr. Brian Campbell think can or could compete? The big one is uh, Bud Crawford. Bud Crawford wrestled. He was very good, uh, at least at the scholastic level. And obviously his boxing is fucking amazing. So Bud Crawford, it was Kermit Cintron for a while who wrestled as well, who could do something like that. Um, but the uh, Manny Pacquiao, fast hands, you know, fast feet. I think that kind of thing in his prime would be good. But in general, we're just talking about very different skill sets, which require very different kinds of things. Who is a better contender when challenging for a title, Rose or Izzy? Ooh. Also, what's next for Zhang, Rose, or Lemos? Does UFC not want DDP as a challenge? Well, to answer the first part, I'm going to say up until this point, it was Rose. But after what Izzy did in his last fight, dude, I don't know how you have anybody above him. The, the level of mental strength it took for him to put himself in that position and then execute in that moment of difficulty is <laughs> you could watch fighting for another 20 years and not see anything like that, man, 30, 40, 50 years. It could be a long time before you see something like that again. That is one of the most incredible displays of mental fortitude I've ever seen in athletics bar none. So it'll be him. But in terms of the rest of that division, yeah, I don't know. I've not paid. I've been on vacation. I've not paid too much attention. Is Pavlovich really that talented or is it a result of heavyweight being a wasteland? He looks slow and throws zero leg kicks. Um, okay. So I've been wrong about him a few times. Again, I've told the story a million times. I watched his debut live when Overeem beat the balls off of him, and I was like, oh, this guy's not that good. And then he got some wins, and you're like, all right, he's better. And then he got a lot of wins. You're like, okay, he's much better. And then he just has six in a row, and you're like, holy crap, this guy's like way better than I thought he was going to be. Or certainly he has succeeded far more than I thought he could. 
here's the reality. His winning is not an accident. He has some clever stuff. He's got this uppercut that kind of turns into a straight punch that comes through. It's very clever, very, very good, and he throws that. Um, he's got fast hands. He punches, obviously, very hard. He's got a great reach. He uses it. He throws in combination. There's like a lot of reasons why he's doing well. At the same time, dude, he is getting hit cleanly between punches, and he's just eating it. That won't last forever. That will not last forever. <coughs> and he's had guys who I think did not fight him optimally. Curtis Blades being the last among them, you know. Um, so he certainly is above the level of like, you know, the average top 10 guy at heavyweight. The question is, can he beat anyone for the championship? That's the level at which I'm a little bit more skeptical um, because he has glaring flaws. But, you know, is he successful? Is he effective? He's very effective super effective you're real about hating women was shared again and i rewatched it it's truly one of the greatest pieces of contact you've ever put out content i think thanks for the vulnerability yeah thanks bro thanks for watching it man i'll tell you what you guys gotta follow me on tiktok i put up the izzy thing just a, a, a two minute clip of it showing the finish from ufc 287 i added fifty thousand subscribers uh, fifty thousand followers in a night one day it went viral. I got 5.9 million views on that one TikTok, and I added 50,000 followers overnight, like just like that. Um, it's the shit. TikTok is great. Luke, what about Chinese looking in on you? Yeah. Granted, not great, but uh, the virality is great. All right. At 3147 of the John Anik interview, you refer to yourself as a former Marine. I'd like to remind you that there's no such thing as donk. Well, Chris, I hate to tell you, you're wrong. You are allowed to say former Marine. You're not allowed to say ex-Marine. Ex-Marine is the thing you are not permitted to say. But you can call yourself a former Marine. That is, in fact, quite acceptable, right? I know it's like, oh, once a Marine, always a Marine. But there's a way to describe yourself. You cannot say ex-Marine. That is what is uh, looked down upon. Former is quite okay. All right, I think that is it for me today. I know this was off for a long time. I'm really sorry. I greatly apologize. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. Let's get a more regular schedule going. And really, I need to hear from you on this one. You can do it in the comments. You can email me at lukethomasnews at gmail.com. Patreon or memberships. We're going to have to figure this out before the next pay-per-view, which is not this week, but the following. So um, I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out because I want to get the content out. People have been asking for a Patreon for a long time, but I don't know if that fits everyone else's needs. Um, you got to tell me what you want. You got to tell me what you're looking for here, right? All right, so LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. Let me know, Patreon or memberships. We got to do one or the other. But, oh, there's one more here. Hold on. Would you say there has been a similar sort of divergence between boxing and the stand-up of striking of MMA? Has there er been any sort of innovation in stand-up striking in MMA? Yeah, there's been tons of innovation. And have any of those carried over to boxing? Why would they carry over to boxing? If anything, it's the opposite. It MMA striking has been in evolution for quite some time, and it borrowed immediately from kickboxing. I actually think the difference is that you're getting now more strict boxing into it, not in ways that you can adapt it, not the parts that you can't meaningfully use. But um, it, none of that is getting back to MMA. The only thing I would say that I do notice on the boxing side among younger boxers is I'm noticing a significant amount of stance switching. 
the younger guys do a lot of it. Now, let's see if they keep that up over the course of their career. Let's see which ones really move up the food chain and which ones don't. It remains to be seen exactly how much of that we'll get. But the stance switching, I have noticed, has been much more pronounced among the younger generation of boxers that I've been able to watch versus the older ones. So it could be a changing in teaching methodologies. There could be a lot of reasons for it. But that is one thing I've noticed. But in anything, MMA striking is still very much becoming its own thing, and no one's fully figured it out and fully got a purchase on it. Um, I think the we saw big growth in the last five years with fainting. We've seen a big growth in combination work. We've seen a large changing in, in leg kick targeting and then the use of different kinds of kicks, of moving past position to create room for elbows, stance switching, that kind of a thing. But it still hasn't worked out itself into a coherent hole. hole. And I've actually have seen like some guys borrow from boxing in a much more adaptable and meaningful way. That's the other way around, actually. All right. Thank you to everyone who watched. I appreciate it. I'm out of here. We're back next week on time. Email me and uh, pick. Thank you guys so much for watching. Until next time, stay frosty.